Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody? This is Jesse Cass, and this is the LMU Basketball Podcast here in the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network, and the only place for the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Welcome into the show, everybody. Jesse Cass here with you, bringing you another brand new episode of the LMU Basketball Podcast. And thank you very much once again for tuning in. Always appreciate all the support and great uh, reviews that we've gotten on the on Apple and all the other sites. So thank you so much for that. Continue to subscribe to the show, rate five stars and review. And we'll keep this thing going. And if you're with us last week, we mentioned... Uh, we're not going to be taking much off in the off season, so we're going to keep this thing rolling, even though the LMU season came to an end a little over a week ago in the CBI tournament. So we've got a great guest for you this week. It's uh, my good friend, former strength coach of the team, and also my former color commentator during my first two years doing LMU basketball broadcast, Drew Rossi. Uh, really great guy, and it's a, it's a fun conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, quickly, before we get to that, uh, I mentioned the season over. Obviously, we know the three seniors for the Lions will not be returning, of course, next season. And we did get a bit of news that Zafir Williams, the sophomore, uh, is transferring. Uh, where about? Not known yet, but uh, another open slot for the roster next season. So we, of course, wish Zafir the best. He's a uh, really good guy and uh, you know played a big role for the team this year. So it will be another tough loss, but hopefully the Lions and the recruiting trail will be able to bring in uh, another player in that spot and be able to help out next season. But we wish uh, Zafir the best and hope that he has a great finish to his, his collegiate career and his final two years of eligibility. So um, thanks to Zafir for everything he did for LMU. And as we said, we got a good guest here. It's Drew Rossi. So I'm going to give you that conversation right now. Drew Rossi here on the LMU Basketball Podcast. Here we go. All right, I'm now joined by my guest here in the LMU Basketball Podcast. It's my good friend, Drew Rossi, former LMU strength coach. And uh, Drew, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, Jess, thanks for having me. All right, Drew. So as you said, uh, we knew each other or know each other from your time at LMU. Uh, you were the strength coach there for for three three years uh, for you know six different teams. But for us knowing each other through the basketball team, uh, so first of all, how did you? What led you to LMU and your path in, in getting there and getting that gig uh, with the Lions? So uh, as you you probably know, um, I played basketball in college. I was a walk on at the University of Massachusetts. Um, after graduating, I, I really wanted to do something in athletics and, uh, you know, strength and condition was such a huge part of my success as a college athlete. And I really enjoyed spending time in the weight room and, and working with my coach, Chris Boyko, who was the, uh, basketball strength coach at UMass. And, uh, just talking with him, I, I ended up getting an internship my senior year to work with him in the weight room. And, you know, that kind of propelled me into strength and conditioning. I, I spent a small amount of time looking into physical therapy and uh, actually worked in physical therapy for a year. And I was very bored. I was just bored with the environment. Um, I missed college athletics. I missed competition. Um, so I, I got into strength and conditioning. I, I kind of had to scratch and claw my way into this industry. Um, as most strength coaches know, it's, it's just very competitive to get into 
there's only so many colleges and universities with athletic programs in the country. It's not like that base is growing. And each year, more and more people become interested in this type of career field. Um, so I had to kind of find opportunities where I could. I was a personal trainer. Um, and then I got linked up with an athletic trainer who worked for the Springfield Armor, which at the time was an NBA, which is now known as NBA G League. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a team that, that supported the Nets, the Knicks, and the 76ers in the NBA. And they happened to be in my hometown in Springfield, Massachusetts. And so I, I networked and, and met with an athletic trainer through some of my former teammates, uh, Rachel Slackett, who was the head athletic, head athletic trainer for the Springfield Armor. And uh, just talking with her, she, she gave me an opportunity to interview with the head coach, who was uh, the famous former Celtic, D. Brown, mm-hmm. at the time. Former dunk was, contest champion. The former dunk contest <laughs> champion, that's right, D. Brown. <laughs> And he still he still had the pump shoes when I was there. <laughs> um, so it was it was an honor to work for him as as their first head strength and conditioning coach. Um, you know, I interviewed with them. They liked me and they gave me the job. And so that was that was really my first um, significant role in strength and conditioning. And then from there, I, I made my way to Loyola Marymount. I had a, a very good friend who was on the basketball staff. They lost their strength coach. The prior year, he knew I was working in strength and conditioning, so he reached out to me to see if I was interested in this opportunity. And uh, I, I jumped at the chance to come out here and, and really be the head strength coach for men's and women's basketball, among some other assignments. And, and so I was going from something that, you know, the G League is a four or five month season, it's really a part time job to now working full-time and, and having full responsibility of, of two Division One college basketball programs for their strength and conditioning. Um, so that's that was kind of my journey to, to get to LMU, and uh, and you know the story from there. <laughs> yeah, and you had a, a really interesting role, and of course you mentioned as you're the head strength coach for the team, uh, but we also got a chance to work together. As you did some color commentary, you kind of started – uh, the year before I took over as play-by-play, you were working a little bit with Jeff Lampy and doing that, and then we kind of joined forces as a broadcast team when I first jumped in there. So what led to that uh, interest in broadcasting and the ability to be able to do the strength coach job and be able to broadcast at the same time as well? Well, uh, first let me say those are, those are some of the funnest nights of my life, <laughs> uh, calling games alongside you. Um I, it, it was an interesting thing that came up. I, as, you know, as time progressed in my role as strength coach, um, the team really just valued my support and they wanted to get me out on the road more. And I think it started out as um, something that I think Ben Rosenfeld, who was the director of ops at the time, really suggested it to the higher ups there. And said, look, Drew's got basketball experience. He's a great communicator. Um, you know, Jeff doesn't have anyone on the road doing color. It, it, it would make sense. It's like a two-for-one deal. We get him on the road. He, he, he can be the strength coach, and then he can also get on the radio and do color commentary. And I was I was, I was a big fan of this idea. I was like, all right, I'll try it out. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And uh, number one, you get the best seat in the house. <laughs> That's a big so perk in the job, for sure. And especially, 
as a strength coach, you, you have to sit like behind the bench or at the very <laughs> last seat on the bench, and you can barely see the game from there. So, <laughs> so you just wanted a better a, seat. Yeah. I just wanted to upgrade my seat. In all honesty, that's <laughs> no, that's. Um, I, I mean, I I had an interest in sports broadcasting in college. I was a, a pre journalism major when I started out. Um, so I, I did have some interest in, in broadcasting or, or sports journalism, if you will. Um, but it, w- it wasn't something that I saw myself really doing full time. But I was lucky enough to be able to, to share the uh, microphone with you on the sideline for a few years. And I had a really good time doing it. Yeah, no, we had a, a lot of, a lot of gr- great memories and nights on the, on the mic, as you said. And, you know, that was when I was kind of first developing and finding my footing. And, you know, before there was any any Travian or anything, there was the Village of Drillage, which was, I piggybacked off of you, so uh, I, a lot of that is a, is a due to you, and then, as you said, the chemistry we developed on the mic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it didn't take very long, honestly. <laughs> um, Jeff, Jeff Lampy, who was the uh, play-by-play guy before you came on, <clears throat> was just like a very seasoned and experienced guy, Yeah, and so, I mean from spending some time working alongside an expert like that and then you jumping in i mean it, it really didn't take long for us to gel it just it was just a matter of sorting out um whose sayings were going to make it to the radio <laughs> <laughs> yeah no question and uh i know that obviously worked for a, a really great group of kids and, and a, a great coaching staff at that time with max good and, and everyone on the staff and uh, I know that was a big part of our broadcast as well. We would always, or I would always interview Max in the pregame, and then we would kind of look over for. I think it was it was every game. There's there had to be the Michael Jordan uh, quote or reference uh, in the pregame interview that we always looked forward to. Yeah, and, and he was always uh, on there bashing some AAU program. <laughs> how how AAU basketball is these days. It was, it was like a rehash of the same interview time after time, but. But Max has um, Max has some classic lines, and, and it's always fun just hearing what he has to say before the games. Yeah, and, and the first season we worked together was a, a really interesting season. We actually had a Taylor Walker on here in one of our earlier episodes. He was part of that team, but it was a group that had a lot of injuries. They had a, a pretty wild losing streak where every game seemingly was closer down to the wire, and they lost... 14 of those in a row, but then made that really miraculous run in the conference tournament. What do you remember from that season and that time, just going through kind of the, the really rough lows to that great high at the end of that year? Well, the, f- the first thing, and, I, and you probably recall this about um, me being on, on the air with you, <clears throat> when, you're, when you're so close to the team, it's really hard to sit there and watch a game when it's not going your way. Yeah, and so I, <laughs> you'd have to fill in a lot of the gaps because I never really had much to say when things weren't going our way, <laughs> and it felt like a a huge stretch of games where I just didn't have much to say. <laughs> so yeah. that's that was the first distinct part about that um, that run that you're talking about um, that I remember. And a lot of those um, games had the same kind of formula where it would be kind of the exact same game game after game after game for a couple weeks or months it seemed like exactly and it was like you oh we we read this book before we (laughs) we saw this we saw this movie last week yeah (laughs) um so (laughs) 
it was a lot of recurring nightmares, um, game after game. But the, I mean, the one thing about that team is they always played hard. Yeah. Like they just, it wasn't in the cards for whatever reason. They couldn't finish the job. Maybe they didn't have <clears throat> their best personnel out there due to injuries. But they always fought hard, and, and it just, for whatever reason, it seemed like they would just come up short um, several times in a row. And it was just very frustrating to be a part of. I'm sure for the players it was very frustrating. <laughs> but from for my sake, it was just it's just hard as a coach calling the game to be able to talk about what's going on in front of you when you're internally feeling that frustration. So, yeah, no but, question. And and when things finally turned in that conference tournament, what do you remember about that run where they won the the three in a row and had to play you know the fourth night against Gonzaga, who was number one in the country, and you know had them basically down by one at the half, and just that run where they put together that streak after you know coming back from all those losses in a row. Yeah. Um, well, obviously I'm a bit biased, but I I kind of always had a be- a belief that that team had talent that the team could win games and uh i just remember going to vegas and, and saying look uh, i'm packing my bag for several nights uh, i'm not planning on making this a short trip um i i believe in that team and they kind of proved me right but i think the the biggest thing to me that stood out about that group <clears throat> was taylor walker and the impact that he had yeah i mean i think you said you had him on the podcast which is great um, just the more people can hear that story, the better it is because it's one of the best, in my opinion, uh, college basketball stories that I've either been a part of or, or even heard of. Yeah, no question. I mean, someone from a walk-on who, as most walk-ons, don't really get you know a lot of looks or playing time to you know working his way due to injuries and whatever else and his own hard work to becoming a starter and a contributor on a team and playing a big role in that. That was, as I said, I told him that as well. It's, it's one of the the more remarkable and memorable things that I've seen still in my in my time broadcasting. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Walker at that same tournament years prior was behind the bench. I mean, he was a manager on the team <laughs> yeah. before he walked on to the team. And even as a walk-on, I don't think he played in the tournament at all, maybe the prior year. I mean, he was, he was in street clubs, basically. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, his... His defense, he got so much better during the kind of past two years prior to that by having to guard Anthony Ireland every day in practice. And uh, the two of them are really good friends. They would go at it hard every practice. And you could kind of see the progression of Taylor just getting better and better. And uh, his role on that team in the tournament was really the defensive specialist. He'd run the offense a little bit. But usually Anthony would have the ball in his hands, but Taylor was was always guarding the top wing player on that other team. And to go from being a walk-on to having to guard uh, Matthew Della Vadova in the <laughs> WCC tournament yeah. is <laughs> is quite a turnaround. But his defensive plays, his character was was really a, a driving force behind that team and how well they did yeah no it was it was really something special to see and uh also memory that i have from that tournament uh specifically of us when we were watching one of those games i don't know if you remember this one but san francisco the san francisco game (laughs) where lmu i believe they're up two and they uh 
threw the ball into Anthony Ireland. Seemed from our vantage point that he was uh, aggressively fouled, which was not called. And then San Francisco then ended up taking the ball, stealing it, scoring a layup, sending it to overtime. And then LMU would fortunately go on to win the game in overtime. But I remember you saying you would never forget and forgive the non-call in your life. How do you feel about it now that we're sitting uh, you know, a few years removed from that in the, in the past? And uh, obviously I haven't forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, I mean, it was, it was a blatant, like they were purposely trying to foul him. Yeah. And the foul was not called. I mean, he was in the backcourt, you know, virtually by himself. You know, the player came up and blatantly hacked him and the ball comes loose and there's no whistle. And, uh, and he just goes in untouched for the lay-in to tie the game. I mean, a critical juncture in the game, and you miss a blatant call like that. That was, I mean, and you could just see it, like, if we lose this game because of this play, I'm going to have a tough time getting to sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, and I think you could you could probably hear it from me, too. I'm, I like to be as impartial as I can on the mic, and even that one is just like, what is, what is happening here during this play where he just got, I think I might have said he got assaulted on the court, but it, it, it felt like that because of the... I don't know. It was, luckily for, for those officials, that was kind of right before social media took off. So I don't know if there's any footage of that left, but but that was that was quite a, a non-call. Yeah, I mean, luckily they, they pulled it out. And uh, like the fighters they were that year, they uh, they fought in overtime and, and ended up winning that game. But just just goes to the character and the uh, attitude of that team of, you know, not getting too negative about the situation and ended up coming out on top. Yeah, and, and obviously Anthony Ireland was such a, a special player. He's playing and having a great professional career overseas right now. Uh, what was it like to be around him and just see the player that, that he was originally and became and grew into in his really phenomenal LMU Lions career? Yeah, I mean, in, in addition to being a, a great player, Anthony is just a class act all around. I mean, he's just, he's, he's exactly the, the type of kid you want to work with as a coach, very driven, motivated, um, but was always very mature, even as a sophomore, um, which, you know, I, I came in, he was a sophomore when I started working as a strength coach there. Um, but Anthony, I mean, he was a special player. I, I can remember nights where I just look over to you, Jesse, and be like, I can't believe we get to watch this kid play. I mean, the stuff he did. I mean, I can remember a game up at St. Mary's where he just absolutely took over, and it was neck and neck towards the end of that game, and Anthony just kept making play after play after play, and it didn't matter who they who they sent on him. If they sent a double team, he'd make the right pass, but he was just scoring these impossible buckets, and I'm sitting there thinking like what a what a pleasure this is what a gift this is to be able to watch this kid play it was unbelievable yeah when you talk about just the combination of skill and and toughness and heart he just really had everything and as you said it was it was really a gift to watch him play for for those for three years for you and yeah the two years that we got to announce together for sure yeah and uh yeah i mean he had a great career at lmu he's he's uh, doing really good overseas right now and and uh just uh i think max would say this a lot he never missed a practice like he, he never sat out of practice 
So, like I said, he's just the, the character that that kid had and, and the way he played. It was just fun to watch, and you you root for him anyway, and uh, you you admire the success he had, but he, he's someone who really deserved it. Yeah, no, no question about it. And and for you and your role as strength coach, what was kind of your, your day-to-day like working with, as mentioned, not only the men's basketball team but a couple of other programs as well? What was kind of your daily work schedule like when you were working with the Lions? Uh, yeah, so, um, I'd have several team assignments and, uh, I'd spend most of the day in the weight room. Some days you, you get there at 6am for your first group and you have to be alive and ready at 6am. You can't walk in with a cup of coffee and yawning, um, cause you're expecting, you're expecting to get the most effort out of the group you're working with. And so you really have to be on and live at 6am some days, um, it's a tough job for in some ways with sometimes the hours you have to keep. Um, but I loved it every minute. I mean, I never went in and said, I wish I was somewhere else today. Um, so you, you know, typically you'd start early in the morning with the first couple of teams in the weight room. You may, it may just be you working with a team or you may have an intern or, or another coach that's backing you up, but basically you're just running a program uh, mostly weightlifting, um, sometimes doing some conditioning work. Um, but you would have a team like every hour <clears throat> on the hour, and sometimes you get a break during the day. <clears throat> but uh, I'd have like men's golf at 6 a.m., swimming team coming in at 8. Uh, might have a, a group of athletes making up a, a scheduled workout at 10 o'clock, and then I'd have the basketball team at 11. And then from there, I'd go into basketball practice. Hmm. And so I was i was really the only coach at the time that really would, would be involved in a practice. Um, and it's, it's kind of because basketball tends to be a high priority at that school. And so the, it's a little more hands-on that role with that team than, than I was with other teams. Um, <clears throat> so after back basketball practice, we come back I'd maybe have one more team left during the day um actually got to train the cheerleaders which was a very fun group of girls who surprisingly really got into weightlifting and it was just (laughs) it was just fun to watch how how competitive they got and how good and skilled they were at weightlifting it was it was unbelievable but that, that was typically my my weekly schedule um or my daily schedule for strength and conditioning yeah, and obviously you mentioned you got to spend a ton of time around the basketball team and, of course, travel with the team. Do you have any any trips that stand out, whether it be the certain game or just the city that um, that you got to go to that really stands out in your mind? Well, um, I love I really loved our San Francisco trips. Um, I just I love the architecture in that city. <clears throat> As you know, I, I lived in San Francisco for a year um, after leaving LMU. I always enjoyed our trips up and down the West Coast. I mean, we got to go to some really, really cool cities and some some good basketball arenas. San Francisco stands out. Uh, the Kennel in Gonzaga, just an unbelievable place for a college basketball game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I really I'm from the East Coast, and, and so as a coach at LMU, I really had a chance to visit and see everything that the West Coast had to offer. 
Yeah, no, there's a lot of great schools and uh, great cities that we get to go to. And uh, Drew, before we wrap this thing up, we were talking a little bit before we started about just uh, kind of the, the small nature of the world. And not only do we know each other from our time at LMU, but uh, you're also part of the uh, the degenerate Culver City Rec League championship team, which we randomly knew uh, another member of a third party, basically, didn't know that we knew that same person, and you were able to catch up on the other side of the country uh, back in uh, in Connecticut. So uh, tell a little bit about that. <laughs> it, indeed, it is a small world. So, um, the Degenerate Squad, which uh, Jesse, you introduced me to, and uh, we ended up playing. And obviously, we we spent a little bit of time playing pickup basketball before I joined that team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm living in Connecticut. I'm living in Massachusetts. I'm working in Connecticut. I just moved back from the West Coast. This is probably three years, two years after I left Loyola Marymount. And uh, so I run into a guy at the gym and we start talking and he says he used to live in L.A. And I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. I used to live in L.A. I I worked at Loyola Marymount University. (laughs) And he goes, oh, I know somebody who worked there. Uh, his name's Jesse Cass, and, <laughs> and I'm standing here in this gym in this small town who I had like I had no relationships with anybody in this town before uh, stepping foot in this gym, <laughs> and here's this guy who knows Jesse Cass, and so I said, "You'll never believe this, but I used to sit by next to Jesse Cass night after night and call basketball games with him." He's like, no way. He played on my intramural team or uh, my rec league team. And then I sat there. My jaw dropped a little further again. And I'm like, there's no way. The Degenerates? And he's like, yes, I started that team. And I was like, I played on that team. So (laughs) So 3,000 miles away, uh, two former Degenerates got together and – and Chris was actually a really cool dude. Um, got to know him a little bit while I was still living up in that area. And uh, just it's just a crazy story. It's such a small world. Yeah, big time uh, shout out to, to Chris Boucher and, of course, to the uh, the two-time now champions of the Culver City Rec League, the Degenerates. So, uh, Drew, you're obviously, you're obviously a, a big part of building that foundation. So uh, that, that, that team success lives on. Uh, it was it was. The way I remember, it was more like Durant joining the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely adding Durant never hurts, so that was always good. Um, yeah, that was that was a good time. Are yeah. you still playing? I am. Yeah, we just uh, we had our first game of our new season a uh, couple nights ago, so uh, we're we're back at it. All right. Well, well, good luck. Let me know if you need a dynamic warm up program for the team. <laughs> we we might need that. That would probably help us out a lot. So I'll let you know about that. And, uh, and Drew, I know you've had a little bit of a, a career switch. You're doing some uh, investment banking now. So uh, how's the, uh, the change been for you? Yeah, and every time I, I'm at like a networking event or meeting with other people in the, in the field, uh, they never believe the story. <laughs> How did you go from being a strength and conditioning coach <laughs> to a banker? And uh, it's uh, one guy said I was the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> so um yeah so while while i was at lmu i got into 
business school. And I was taking classes in the MBA program at night while coaching. And uh, I kind of always saw myself doing something different at some point. I thought I wanted to be a business owner, um, learning in business school how risky of a proposition it is to start your own business. I said, well, I want to do something in business, uh, maybe not as an owner. And so <clears throat> as a banker, I work in an uh, investment bank called Carter Morrison Goodrich in Southport, Connecticut. And so what we do is we specialize in mergers and acquisitions we get to advise business owners on selling their business or helping them raise capital for their business. And so it gives me that kind of close relationship with business owners, entrepreneurs. Um, so I, I kind of get involved with several businesses as opposed to trying to start and run my own. Um, so it's fun work. It's very different from strength and conditioning. Um, I love the time I spend at LMU especially that place is like a second home to me, um, but very happy with the work I'm doing now and uh, and working with uh, a great group of guys at, at Carter Morrison Goodrich. Yeah, well, it's obviously great to hear, and, and just knowing you and your work ethic, I'm sure you're going to crush it, as you always do, and uh, the feelings are obviously mutual for the time at LMU. The, those first couple of years when we were, we were broadcasting together and on the road, uh, still some of the most fun times I've had, so that was a... Uh, it's always great catching up with you. Awesome. Hey, don't count me out for a uh, guest appearance at some point. I'm going to say the uh, the seat and the mic is always open, so just let me know. We'll make it happen. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> and once again, we thank our guest, Drew Rossi, for coming on the show. We thank you once again for tuning in here on the Believe Podcast Network. Know that, as always, you can follow us uh, at Believe.com and also at Believe Podcasts on Instagram Facebook and Twitter. You can, of course, follow me as well on Twitter at Jesse underscore Cass. Uh, know that we're available on all your favorite directories iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Uh, it really helps us out as we go forward with the program. Also, know when you go over to believe.com, a lot of other shows, great shows up and down the gamut of everything you could want. And with baseball back in session, Dodgers and Angels podcast on there as well for everyone interested in the LA area. So that is going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank you all for tuning in once again. And of course, again, Drew Rossi for joining us. This is Jesse Cass signing off for the LMU Basketball Podcast from the Bleed Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network and the only place for the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Go Lions. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.